You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. see me putting a bunch of post-it notes up here it's because the lord's been speaking during worship there's like oh that and put that down so that's what all that was um how many of you were here two weeks ago when we spoke about slow pace silent solitude how many were here for that so a little over half okay well um want to continue on in this theme of rest but i wanted to um Kind of take a different different look at it today. Maybe before I do, I'm just going to read the scripture that I wanted us to kind of anchor to today. It's Psalm 127, and we're only going to read the first two verses, and that's that. It should come up on the screen. Uh, here we go, okay? Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. I don't know about you, but I really like these verses. They, they, are, they are underlined and circled here in my Bible, um, and they spoke to me for years. And uh, as I came out of sharing what I did with you guys two weeks ago, I was struck with, you know, maybe there's this potential misunderstanding that working hard is a bad thing, you know, and, and what I want to say to you is, no, I do not believe that we're all called to go to a monastery and be monks and nuns and seclude ourselves from the world. There's a time and a place for that, and what I was speaking into a couple of weeks ago was encouragement to work that kind of slower pace and silence and solitude into the rhythm of your life. Um, but today I want to talk to you about how God teaches us to actually work diligently from a place of peace and rest. That that's actually to mark how we work as followers of Jesus, as God's people. Peace and rest are hallmarks of God's people. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And you can think about today's message just in a simple outline. Work is good. Toil is bad. Rest and results are God-given, okay? And um, what I want us to see first off as we're looking at this text that we just read is what it doesn't say. The text does not say it's pointless to build houses and guard cities, right? The author did not say it's pointless to do this stuff. It's actually uh, the, the author of this text is believed to be Solomon. And who knows, Solomon wrote much in the Proverbs, about condemning laziness and encouraging hard work and diligence. And yet there is this, this way that we're called to work. And uh, oftentimes I hear this common misunderstanding. I've heard it lots from preachers. I've heard it in different parts of the church. People essentially saying this, work is a part of the fall. It's a part of the curse. And, and that's not actually an accurate picture. Part of the original design that we see in Genesis before there ever was a fall was God commissioned mankind to govern the earth, to be fruitful and multiply, to subdue it, to care for the earth, to cultivate it, right? There was actually a job given to mankind 
before the fall. Work was actually a part of the design that God put in the earth to which he said it is very good. Work is part of God's very good design. What is a result to the fall is toil and striving, right? There's the, the curse comes and it says that you are going to eat by toil. You're going to toil to till the ground. You're going to eat by the sweat of your brow is part of the curse. There is this toil and this sorrow that is added to the very things that we were created to do. Be fruitful and multiply, right? And to work. But the actual work itself is part of our design. The Bible actually has a very high view of work. God's, God's, you know, we looked at this a couple weeks ago. God rested, right? But what's God's work-rest ratio that we see in the creation narrative? Six days work, one day rest, right? Work is valuable. Work is good. It's part of who we were created to be. We're called to care for the earth. We're called to cultivate the earth. We're actually, I would say, even in that caring and cultivating for what God has created, there is a call on us as image bearers to create from that which God has created. You know, our technology and all the different things we see in the world are are mankind operating in our creative instinct that's part of our God-given design, and we, we create from that which God created. Simply put, our work is that we're called to make the world a better place and care for what God has made. And hard work unto those ends is a good thing. It's important for us as believers to know that what we do matters. God values your work. I don't know about you, but for for me, knowing this helped me profoundly in my work. Just having that sense that, oh, I was created for this. This isn't just supposed to be a grind. There's something beautiful and God-glorifying in work. I was actually talking with someone just this morning about them knowing someone who's unable to work right now and, and, and how hard that is for them, right? There's something that you feel when you work that is satisfying, that is good. You were made for it, right? So that said, work is good. But toil is not good. Toil is bad. Real simple terms here this morning, okay? Work good, toil bad. What the text is saying is that even if you work really hard at something, but God's not involved in it and God's not blessing it, it will be in vain. You know, even if you get up early and you stay up late and you give all your energy to this thing, that if God's not involved with it and you're not involved with God in it, it will be in vain. There are moments for burning the midnight oil, as we say. There are times for that. It's not to say that there's never a a time to push hard and, 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 and go and get in, you know, extra hours. There's a time and a place for it. I remember when I was running my roofing company, there were lots of times, and Telsey could tell you, where I had to stay late because the weather forecast was not looking wonderful, and we had to push to make sure that when we left that day, every little bit of that roof was sealed up and covered and wasn't going to be any damage to a house, right? And we bore the results of some guys not doing that once in a while as well. 
And, uh, and so there, there's, there's a time and a place where you got to push. There's a time and a place where maybe there's a deadline. I remember when we were launching Meta Ministry School here at the church years ago, and we had to get that website live, and I remember just type, 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 doing content and up late hours. There's a time and a place for, for sure. But that, that pace and that way of up late, up early, you know, is not to be normal. It's not a normal pattern. And sometimes we, we get into it and we almost take pride in it, this badge of honor that I work so hard and I put all these hours in. And yet the scriptures are telling us that that's actually not healthy. That a sign of being in good relationship with God and right relationship to him and how he speaks into our lives marks our life with rest. And we can actually work from a place of rest. Remember, toil was the result of the fall separation from God, which is ultimately what the fall is about, resulted in strife and sorrow and stress and toil, anxiety. Anybody know about those things? Anybody familiar with those things? Just a little bit, maybe. I know for me, God started putting his finger on stress and anxiety in my life. And what he began to show me, I remember, was like, it wasn't so much about always deadlines or things to do. Oftentimes, the strife and the anxiety that I feel related to my work has way more to do with my personal performance standards, my expectation of how I should look to the world around me and what people will think and all those sort of things. I'll be really honest with you, like Telsey was very vulnerable with us this morning. There's a lot of times that I feel stress and anxiety preparing to preach. And I realize when I feel that coming up inside of me that, that, that what's going on is not that I'm laboring over, oh, that I might serve them well. I'm laboring over, I hope I look good. I hope I sound good. I hope, you know what I mean? There's, there, there's, this, there's this performance thing inside of us where we, we want to do good and we want people to think, we're, you know what I'm talking about, right? And I remember this just recently. I was really struck with this, actually. How many of you know who Benny Johnson was? A few hands in the room. So Benny Johnson, you probably know, then passed away recently. And I remember as um, I was typing a comment on one of the posts about her passing, just thanking her and her husband for the impact that they had on our lives. And, um, and I was struck later that day I was driving and the Lord was talking to me about this very thing, about this anxiety that I get that I would perform well and that we would we'd do great work through the church and all this sort of stuff, right? You can really spiritualize it and make it holy and think that it's all in service of God when it's really, really for my ego. And... Um, and I was struck with the impact that she had on my life. And what hit me was, you know, it wasn't just because of what programs she ran while we were down at their church. It wasn't because of the books she wrote. It was how she showed up. Like whenever we were around her, there was just a, a joy, a lightness, a generosity, a grace. There was this posture of her heart and the way she showed up in a room that was very much from a place of rest. And it had a huge impact on our lives. And so when I feel that thing stirring up in me, what I began to realize was it's really rooted in forgetting the fact that God is with me, that God is for me, that God is at work. And I'm carrying this stuff on myself. And, I, and I've had to come to learn to, to, to have this go through my mind that essentially, you know what? 
if God isn't in this thing that I'm putting my hand to, then why do I want to be doing it anyway? But if he is in it, then guess what? The secret sauce to its success is not me. It's him. And I know I've had in my life times where I've had literally sleepless nights. Maybe you've heard me tell this story before, and I'll keep it brief, but I remember uh, some years back when I had too much on my plate, getting to a point one night where I was feeling so much stress over everything that I was trying to do that I had physical aching in my body from the level of anxiety that I was feeling. Anybody know about that? And, and I remember it was like 3 in the morning or something, and I got up, and I just started to read the Psalms. And I had this moment where I just started to weep. And the aching and the anxiety, it was like it was flushing out of my body. Because reading these psalms was reminding me of the goodness of God. It was reminding me that he's the good shepherd, that he's with me, that he's leading me, that he's guiding me. That he has a plan and that he has a purpose. And I was set free. I was literally like there was this massive breakthrough just in my mind getting fixed on who God is and what he's like, as the psalmist wrote and I read. And what I would say, I think the, the main warning of this text is that there is a vain, self-centered approach to work that actually ruins gifts from God. See, because to be able to work, it's a gift from God. To be able to sleep is a gift from God. To have food to eat is a gift from God, right? And notice what the psalmist said in the second verse. There's this phrase. Or I'll, I'll read the phrases before as well again. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. Who usually associates bread with sorrow? Bread is something that's, I know it's got a bad rap these days actually with the health, you know, whatever, but... We're going to roll with it here. Bread is typically associated with satisfaction, right? Something that we should be grateful for. I see Dwayne and Trish there just came back from Italy. You guys probably ate some good bread over there, didn't you? Look at that. I know it. And, uh, and so there is like, there's this satisfaction and gratitude that's supposed to be associated with the food that God provides for us. And yet this, this self-centered, anxious approach to working super hard, staying up late, getting up early, all that sort of stuff, in an unhealthy sense, takes that very thing that's a gift from God and ruins it. Right? The bread of sorrow. It flows from labor that's marked by forgetting God. And just a special word at this moment, I'll just throw out there, a special word to parents in the room or anybody responsible for someone else in your life. Uh, if you read on, the rest of this, this psalm is actually about the blessing that children are. And for those of you who feel a great responsibility to feed the mouths that God has put in your care, Remember, the scriptures tell us right after this that children are a blessing, not a burden. They're a reward. And, and, and in that, there is this thing we have to realize. That God provides for the people he produces. 
I remember when Telson and I were asking the questions about whether we should, you know, have another kid as we got to those stages. There's just this conviction we had that, you know what? If he makes them, he'll provide for them. Simple as that. It might seem, you know, basic, but it's, it's the way it works. And Jesus says it, you know, in relationship to this stuff that that's, the psalmist is talking about. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, why do you worry? Why do you worry about all these things? Right? Who of you, by worrying, can add a cubit to your stature, is what the New King James says. In other words, you can't, you can't change anything about yourself through worrying. What does worrying accomplish? Bingo. I heard a few people say nothing. Worrying accomplishes nothing. Like, think of nothing as a thing. You with me? Worrying produces nothing. And there's some truth to that for sure. When you worry, how many of you know it debilitates you? Anybody ever experienced that debilitating anxiety? Studies would say that 20% of us are very, very familiar with that. Experience at times in our life such high levels of anxiety we can't function. And worrying actually takes away from your capacity to produce. That, that, that worry and that anxiety, it diminishes your effectiveness. Worrying burns up emotional, mental, and physical energy. You guys know about that, right? Now, if worrying does that, what, re- what restores physical, emotional, mental energy? Rest. And very practically speaking, terms here, sleep. Sleep does. I actually believe this, okay? So we're on to rest and results are God-given. I actually believe that the litmus test for my posture of rest, one of them anyway, may be my sleep patterns. Our sleep patterns actually may reveal something of our heart posture toward God and our connection with him. I mean, it says right there at the end of what we read, he gives his beloved sleep. There is actually something in knowing, like we were singing about, that we are loved by God, that our life is built upon the knowledge of that love that produces a rest in you. This is the gospel. Despite our failures, our weakness, and our shortcoming, we are forgiven. We are loved. We are accepted by God. And that message has the power to produce a profound rest inside of us. And there's something about when we sleep. Like sleep is a gift from God. Really practical question for you to consider today. Do you sleep enough? Like you're an embodied being. We're not just spirits, so, you know, we're also we have these bodies. Do you sleep enough? What does your sleep pattern say about where your heart's at? I definitely have this this thing that's developed in me over the years, thinking on these things with the Lord that 
when I sleep, I believe it's worship. There's something about sleep that when I put my head down on that pillow and I choose to go to sleep, I am declaring, I trust you, Lord. The universe is going to be okay while I sleep tonight. There's actually like worship and warfare that we're doing when we sleep. And one of the things that I've learned over the years that's connected to these first statements, right, about unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord guards the city, is that a key to a posture of rest is knowing the sovereignty of God. That God is at work even when I don't see it, even when I'm not aware of it, that God is at work, that God is able, that God is powerful, that God will accomplish, it, accomplish his purposes in the world. That's a given. And knowing that allows us to rest. I mean, think of Jesus. He sleeps in the storm. It always comes back to Jesus around here, okay? We look at Jesus. Jesus sleeps in storms. Jesus had a profound conviction about the Father's will being done. And I was, I was meditating on these verses this week, thinking on this idea. And you know it says, right? We'll read it again. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. What if we flip that? Maybe an opposite statement. If the Lord builds the house, any amount of effort, no matter how small, is not in vain. In other words, if the Lord is at work in something, whatever effort you add to it is not in vain. When the Lord's not involved, it doesn't matter how much you give to it, it's in vain. But when the Lord is at work, no matter how small your offering that you have to give toward that end, toward that purpose, is not in vain. You're partnering with the ruler of the universe. You're partnering with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator and sustainer of all things. The very power and life force that, that holds it all together and who's accomplishing his purposes, when you align to him and what he's doing, no matter how small your effort and your offering, it's not in vain. Is that not encouraging or what? You get to join God in what he's up to. I remember reading a book by Dutch Sheets years ago. Some of you might be familiar with Intercessory Prayer, a book from the 90s. And I remember him giving this illustration about a mouse and an elephant crossing a bridge. And the mouse is on the elephant's back, and they cross the bridge. And the mouse goes, wow, did we ever shake that bridge, you know? And that's sort of like our picture of us with God. But yet we get to go with him. We get to join in with what God is doing in the earth. How many of you, when you look at the earth, you see lots of work that needs to be done? A lot of work needs to be done towards righteousness 
and justice and truth and beauty. Would you agree? Well, guess what? God sees it too, and he cares about it more than you do. And when, and when you get that in you, when you realize, like, hey, the king of the universe, he's not losing. He's got a plan and a purpose. He's at work. He's all about righteousness and justice, truth and beauty. And he's going to have his way. It gives you a grace not to just sit back and turn on Netflix, but to get involved. To be involved but sometimes we can look at it, right? And it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming to look at the work that needs to be done. But when we know that God is about that work and he cares deeply for it, it gives us the grace to be involved in a way that will not destroy us. Because there is a thing out there that I, I call social justice exhaustion. Like when you, when you see the need for justice in the world, which it's there, it's, it is surely there. But you look at it and you seek to work toward it, not in partnership with God. It will destroy you. The weight of the world is on your shoulders. And it's too much to carry. And what ends up happening is you end up fatigued and burnt out. You end up angry and aggressive. How many of you know you get angry when you're tired and exhausted? I know, I know, I do. And when you carry these burdens in this way, and I think that's part of why we see so much anger and aggression marking our culture. It's because there is such a loud message for justice. But it's devoid of God and His purposes. And when we can get those things partnered together, we can get to work in the world in a way that doesn't destroy us. Free from anxiety. This might, might seem a little tangential, but it's worth looking at. It's a scripture here in Romans 12, 19. Listen to what it says, okay? And this really speaks to the whole justice thing, the need for justice in the world. Romans 12, 19, Paul writes, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, now what Paul's saying here is that vengeance is coming. There's a judgment coming, but it's not yours to execute. And so when, when you see the injustice or injustice has been done to you, this is the whole section of Scripture where he's saying, don't repay evil with evil, but repay evil with good. Everything, do everything in your power to live at peace with people, right? But the way that he, he calls them to it is very different than what we would expect. Miroslav Volf, he's a theologian, he's Croatian, and I've read this quote before. I'm not going to read the whole quote. I'm just going to touch on a piece of it. But he's a Croatian man who lived through seeing the atrocities of the Balkan War in the 90s. Great suffering, great injustice, great problems that need fixing, great work to be done in the aftermath of that. And Miroslav Volf 
says the practice of nonviolence requires a belief in divine vengeance. And he goes on and he expands on this statement how that is not a popular idea, especially in the West. And he says, but imagine you are trying to call people who have seen their towns burned, loved ones raped or killed right in front of them, and tell them that they're called to nonviolence because God's just a nice, you know, a nice guy. It'll fall apart, he says. He says it's only in the quaint suburban mind of the Western life that such an idea will survive. But when we have a, a, an idea of God's justice, that there's only two places in the universe where it's ultimately worked out, before the judgment seat of God or on the cross, then we are given the resources we need to repay evil with good, to not take vengeance for ourselves. And the, the, the connection to what we're talking about this morning is that seeing the sovereignty of God and that he's going to have his way and that he's going to have justice in the earth frees me to live in a way that's radically countercultural in this world to repay evil with good, to carry on about the work of, of doing good and expressing truth and beauty in the world without getting caught up into the aggression and the anxiety that comes with the pursuit of righteousness and justice apart from a sovereign God. Are you with me? So knowing that God's at work has a power to allow you to work free from toil and strife and anxiety and to work hard and to work diligently but with a posture of rest. And there is great work to be done. And keep saying that over and over and over again for sure. And when we're in the work that God's about, it's awesome because our smallest efforts get meaning to them. They're not pointless. They're not in vain. I was really struck as I thought about this this week that when Jesus wants to feed a multitude of people, just a few loaves and fish will do. When God has an intention to feed 5,000, all he needed was a few loaves and a few fish from a young boy. And that simple, small contribution added to God's intention in that moment was enough. And so my hope for us today is that we could carry about the work that God's called us to, whether that's in your job or whether that's in a sense of calling to an issue in the earth today. That we could go about it from a place of rest. That we can work hard, we can pursue righteousness, we can hunger for justice, but we can know God and rest in the midst of that. And that we can learn to, to sleep, to enjoy that good gift from God. And I remember Bill Johnson would always give us this illustration about a bow and arrow. He's a hunter. And he'd say, unless when I'm not using the bow, I untie the string. Because if I leave it constantly tied, that bow will little by little become less effective, right? And there is this, there's times for not working and times to rest, and there's also this heart posture that we're talking about. 
But the key to you being able to live and work from the place of rest is knowing that God is sovereignly at work. And get this really simple truth. He loves you. He gives his beloved sleep. There's something about knowing you're loved by God that allows you to rest well. So just a simple application I want to give to you guys today. I want you to honestly think about your sleep schedule. Very practical, doesn't sound very spiritual, but think about your sleep schedule and what it reflects. And ask the Lord if there's some changes that need to be made. I know for me it requires times where I actually just, like, I can get so caught up into a task. I think, okay, i got to do this and i got to keep going. And it's, I'm learning that it's like, oh, actually going, nope, that can wait till tomorrow. Actually helps me to engage with this knowledge of God who's sovereign and God who loves me and God who cares more about this stuff than I do. it so what 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 i do want to welcome you guys to today felt like the lord just wanted to me to extend the invitation if you need healing in your body today we want to we want to pray for you um we've got a few people who said they could come and pray and so there'll be people waiting up here if you want prayer for healing in your body because i've seen it Many times in my life, people get healed as we pray. And I can't think of a better example of where it's obvious God's doing more work than I am. Because I pray a prayer of faith, and they get healed. And I know I can't just make that happen. And so we, we believe in that around here. And if you have need for something other than physical healing, you can come forward for prayer as well. But um, other than that, feel free to stay and have lunch. If you just heard about it and you still want to, there is Red Barn down the road and Fairways up there, and we're going to get that barbecue fired up in 15, 20 minutes and uh, just be hanging out, resting and recreating together, okay? So why don't you stand? I'm going to pray for you guys before everyone goes, and then, um, and then if you want to come forward for prayer, we'll be here waiting. Father, we thank you for the revelation of your goodness and your kindness, the revelation that you are sovereignly at work in the world today. For all of the stories that we can look at in Scripture and throughout history where things that looked like they were going for the worst, you were actually at work in them, bringing about great good. More than anything, Lord, we think of the cross in that moment. When you were crucified and in that great evil, that great tragedy, you were bringing about great good. And I ask, Lord, that you would teach us from the gospel to be a people of diligent, hard work, but marked by peace and rest in the world today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. At Life Tree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about Lifetree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.